welcome to the New Life Fellowship podcast. New Life Fellowship is a community of grace in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. Our goal is to teach and share and experience the life of Jesus Christ together. You're about to listen to a message from one of our meetings. Please make sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca. Without further ado, let's listen in. Welcome everyone here. You guys uh, are the true spirits, the true Christians. Uh, In heaven, you will have padded chairs uh, with lumbar support. And that's special, right? Uh, Those online. You'll have something. So I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Welcome, everyone online. Welcome, everyone here. Uh, For those who don't know, my name is Ross Gilbert, and I'm excited uh, for what I'm really excited, actually, what what God's going to share with us this morning. Uh, But I I want to think about the mind. The mind, I think, is, is one of those powerful creations of God. I mean, it really is a supercomputer beyond anything we can imagine. And one of the things that's amazing about the mind is the ability to see something and to fill in all kinds of gaps, to, to, um, to come to some conclusions without all the information. Sometimes that's great, but sometimes we make some assumptions that are not so great, and we just begin to just assume those things very quickly. And, and so, for example, there's a, there's a famous painting. It's called American Gothic. And uh, how many people have seen this painting before? Very famous, famous couple. Right? Well, how many people know that that's not his wife? That's his daughter. Never thought about that, right? You just see it and you assume that it's husband and wife. And that's kind of the conclusions we go to, right? And we just keep going. Um, But now you know. And knowing is half the battle, as I learned with G.I. Joe. Marco, you got that one? You got that one. All right. Now, uh, here's another one. The phrase genuine leather. Uh, does not, in fact, mean that leather is the real deal. In fact, the label, genuine leather, means that it's the lowest quality leather out there. Think about that the next time you're, you're sporting and, and bragging about your genuine leather coat. Well done. You've got the lowest quality leather coat on. That's nice. That's nice to think about, right? Or here's, here's another one. This might be a little disturbing, but, but I liked it. So the nursery rhyme. The nursery rhyme, uh, this little piggy went to the market. This little piggy stayed home. This little piggy had roast beef. This little piggy and this little piggy cried wee, wee, wee all the way home. Now, how many people realize that that first piggy going to the market is not to go pick up some groceries? (laughs) In fact, that little piggy is the groceries. And that little piggy stayed home for today. And that one having roast beef, guess why he's getting, having roast beef? Getting fattened, up. getting fattened up. And that one that's crying wee, wee, wee all the way home is not like in a happy mood, right? It's a, it's a little dark, right? But, uh, but we often just assume it's just this funny little thing where we tickle our kids and so forth, right? You'll never be able to sing that nursery rhyme again the same way. Uh, and so now that I've traumatized both your childhood and your children's childhood, 
uh, I want us to now kind of look at a passage that we've made assumptions on, probably, where we've read it a thousand times, and we, we can quote it even, but maybe have not quite understood exactly what God's trying to tell us in this passage. So the passage is, again, right from the beginning, Genesis 1. We're going to read the first five verses this morning and, and kind of study and break it apart here. So beginning of verse 1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface, the surface of the deep. And the spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning one day. All right, Father, we're going we're gonna to look at this passage, and it's, it's an exciting passage to me. And I'm, I'm looking forward to all of us seeing exactly what it is that you intended, what your heart was in writing these words and how it relates to us today. And so we're going to trust you, Lord Jesus, to do something special. In your name we pray, amen. So let's start with that fourth word of the Bible, right? It's, it's the fourth word in their English translation, but it's also the fourth word in the Hebrew translation, and it's the word God. It's literally the word Elohim. And, and I think it's interesting that that introduces us really to the first character of the story who happens to be the main character of the story. Oh, you always got to remember that. You know, even in your own story, you're not the main character. You and I are, are supporting characters, important supporting characters, but the main character is always God. And it's interesting, at this time of year, we're often reminded of the many names that God has, right? So Emmanuel, especially this time of year, is a, is a, is a famous name that we talk about, or the, the Prince of Peace and Wonderful Counselor and, and so forth. There's many names of God, and each of those names give us some insight and some understanding into the character of God and who he is. But the first name that God uses is Elohim, and I, and I believe he's doing it on purpose, and, and the significance of that is because the grammar and the construction of how it's used is significant. The word Elohim it actually is plural, but it's used in a singular way. So what does that mean? You think about it this way. If I'm talking about that mice or, or this geese, Right? Do you see in the grammar, there's, there's a, I would fail on Marco's exam there, right? Like I wouldn't do well because I'm talking about something singular, this or that, and yet I'm using the plural form, mice or geese. And that's what's happening here is that, that Elohim is, is plural, but it's always used in a singular sense. What do we see here? We see the, the first introduction of God, and he's already telling us about the Trinity, now, I wouldn't say that this one name alone is, is evidence or proof of, of the Trinity, but I think it, God is telling us something through that. See, the idea of the Trinity, actually, the word Trinity never actually shows up in Scripture. It, it was a concept that, that finally was named Trinity, the Latin word being uh, Trinity meaning threefold, and it was meant to talk about that there are, there are, there's God in three persons. There's one God... God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in three unique persons, co-equal persons. And so this, this idea of the Trinity, the name of these didn't come until about the, the fourth century, but the concept is throughout the scriptures. So in Psalm 110, it says, my Lord says to my Lord. And God's not talking to himself. What we see is, is God the Father is talking to Jesus. And Jesus even attributes to that thinking in Matthew, uh, in the book of Matthew. 
Or in, in John chapter 8, where Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, he says, before Abraham, I am. He's declaring the name of God. Jesus himself was saying he was God. And we know that's what he meant because what was the reaction of the Pharisees at that point? They, they all picked up stones and they were ready to stone him on the spot because he was committing blasphemy in their eyes because he was declaring himself as God. And then in John 14, we see Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit saying, I'm going to send you another of the same kind. And so the Holy Spirit is, is someone else, a different person, but of the same essence, the same kind. And so what I think here in God, beginning with Elohim, he's introducing us already to the idea that there's, there's God the Father, God the Son, and Holy Spirit, that he's more than just one person, but yet he is still one God. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that statement, just in verse 1 alone, is interesting because, and we're not going to spend much time on it this week, but what we see in that one statement, verse 1, is the creation of time, space, and matter all at once. Because you can't have, you can't have space and matter without time. And you can't have um, you know, time but with nothing to, no space. Or you can't have matter with no space. So he created all at once. In the beginning, he created the, the heavens, the space, and the earth and matter, and he filled that space. And it says that the earth was formless and void, which essentially means it's chaos. There was no order to it at all, and it was completely covered in darkness. At this point, it's just a planet of water, and the God Spirit is hovering over it. And then God says these, these four powerful words, let there be light. And, and suddenly, like, like someone flips on a light switch, there's light everywhere. And, and you would expect that would happen. You'd expect that that's important because, you know, the, the, think about how critical the sun is to our existence. It provides the warmth we need. It provides the, the energy. It provides, you know, light for photosynthesis and so forth. It's absolutely crucial to all of creation that you would expect that God would create the sun right away. Except that's not exactly what's happening. See, on day one, he says, let there be light. But if we jump to day four... In Genesis 1, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 14 to 19, we see God saying, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to govern the day, the sun, and the lesser light to govern the night, the moon. And he made the stars also. And God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and to govern the day and the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning a fourth day. Do you see the problem? On day one, he says, let there be light. But it's not until day four that he actually creates the sun, the moon, and the stars. I saw, I was reading that and go, uh-oh, we got a problem here. That doesn't compute. That doesn't add up. If, if he didn't make the sun, moon, and stars until day four, what was the light on day one? So I had to do some research here. And, and I came across a, a, a few different views. So the, the first view that some of the, the scholars came up with is that uh, essentially the discrepancy is there because it's a myth. 
The the story of creation is just a, a story we tell people to explain how things happen, but it's not actually true. And because it's a myth, it doesn't have to actually have all the right details. And so therefore, we don't have to worry or concern ourselves about the discrepancy of day one being light, but the sun, moon, stars being on day four. It doesn't matter because it's a myth. And I I love C.S. Lewis's response to that. Whenever he hears a scholar ask or or making that claim, he says, "My, my next question is not about their theological credentials. I'm not interested in that. He says, instead, he asks them, what are your credentials in understanding myths? Because he says his expertise is that of myths. He understands. He studied them. He knows myths inside and out. And he says when he reads Genesis 1 and 2, he says that's not, that's not a myth. It doesn't have any of the signs or the markings of what a myth is. And so he, he rejects that idea outright as an expert in myths. And so that's not really the answer. Another, another popular explanation, particularly by liberal scholars, is that Genesis 1 and 2, chapter 1 and 2, the account they're told, is really the, the compilation of four different accounts kind of put together, where one verse is from one account, and then the next verse is from another account, and, and, and they all just kind of sandwich them together. And it's based off of, of four views. One is uh, the, what they call the Yahwehist view, which is basically emphasizing the idea that, that God is Lord. And then there's the Elohim view, which is basically the idea that, but God is God, and we're going we're gonna to look at it from that perspective. And then there's the priestly view, so the priests have an objective. And then there's the, the Deuteronomic view, which is basically the law. And what the argument here is that each of these four different views are, are coming at it from a different perspective where each person has a different agenda that they're trying to push. And so they're going to emphasize things. They're going to move things around in order to suit their objective. And then they've said about you know, 800 years after Moses, so around the 7th, uh, 7th century AD, that's when all of this was kind of comply, compiled together. Now, do you see the problem with that? Now what we're seeing is that the book of Genesis isn't actually telling us the truth. That's not rooted in what God's saying. It's rather just this idea that it's just kind of just all smushed together. And, and I love how, how one commentator, he, he kind of sh- shut this little theory down. He says this, uh, when the Pharisees asked the Lord Jesus Christ about divorce, he replied by quoting from the early chapters of Genesis. First, he referred to the statement that God had made man male and female. Haven't you read that at the beginning God made them male and female? That's in Genesis chapter 1. Then he referred to a specific statement about marriage. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That's in chapter 2. And because since one of those quotations from Genesis 1 and the other from Genesis 2, it would seem that Jesus regarded the two chapters as belonging to one harmonious account. So chapters 1 and 2 don't, don't disagree. They don't differ Jesus is acknowledging and he's giving credibility to one and two being a harmonious account that explains creation for us. So it's not a myth. It's not this this, uh, compilation of different accounts that explains the discrepancies. So then what does explain why light shows up on day one, but then the sun and moon and stars on day four? And the answer, I think, is, is pretty simple but pretty powerful. And the answer is that the light that we see in verse 3 is Jesus. Let me, let me explain why, why I say that. Oh, I just lost my notes. This is going to get interesting now. 
So why, let, me, let me share some verses. That would be the best way to do this. As soon as I find my verses. There we go. So let's, let's read Genesis 1 to 5 again, and then we're going to compare it to John chapter 1. And, and the reason I say that is because you're going to see a lot of similarity in the opening verses of, of Genesis and the opening verses of, of, God's, of John's gospel. So in Genesis 1, 1 to 5, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning one day. So that's a Genesis account. Now let's read John's account. Verse 1, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. Now what do we know who the word is? Later on, he's going to say the word became flesh. Right, that's what we celebrated yesterday. The word became flesh. Jesus was born as a little baby here on earth, as, as just like you and I. And so he's saying Jesus was with God, but he also was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that, that has come into being. In him was life, and life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God. His name was John, speaking of John the Baptist. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. Do you see the similarity between the two accounts? Where basically we could replace... That, that word, uh, the word with light, with Jesus, and would still work. Let's look at some other verses. 1 John 1, 5. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Or John 8, 12. Then Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but he will have the light of life. And then John 12, 46, I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me may not remain in darkness. And then finally, 1 Thessalonians 5, 5, for you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not night nor of the darkness. There are so many verses that I, I could have quoted from. There are more I could have quoted from. And, but I wanted to show to you over and over again how Jesus is light. He's claiming that as himself. And, and the imagery of, of light and darkness and, and the contrast between the two is throughout Scripture. In fact, when we get to the end in Revelation 22 and verse 5, it talks about how there will no longer need to be a sun because the light, God himself, will lighten everything and there will be no more darkness. Now, we got to be careful here because some might say, well, if Jesus is the light in verse 3, are you saying that God created Jesus? And, and that's what some teach. That's what the Mormons would teach. That's what Jehovah Witnesses would teach. Even Muslims would teach that Jesus is a created being. And that would be heresy, right? We've already seen in our, our quick study of the Trinity that Jesus is God, that he was there at the beginning, before the beginning. In fact, all things are created by him and through him, and nothing was created apart from him. And, and so that's not the case. But let's go back to, to Genesis chapter 1, and I want you to notice something about how God's creating everything. 
Because what's happening here is he's going to say what needs to be created, and then he goes to create it. So for example, in Genesis 1.6, it says, God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. So he's talking about creating the land. But he didn't, he didn't just say it, and then suddenly it appeared. Instead, it goes on in verse 7, and it says, God made the expanse and separated the waters, which were below the expanse from the waters, and which were above the expanse, and it was so. Sorry, that expanse isn't talking about the land. It's talking about the atmosphere. But the point being here is that God didn't just speak it and it suddenly comes into existence. He stated what it needed, and then he went and he did it. Here's another example. Again, going back to day four. In Genesis 1.14, God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. Let there be signs for the seasons and for days and for years. So God states the need for light, but then in verses 16 and 17, he actually goes and makes them. And God made the two great lights, the great light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. So what I want you to see here is that God said what was required, but then God would make, God would create, God would form, God would separate, God would do something separately to create, to form, to make what he said was needed. Why is that significant? Well, now we go to Genesis 1-3. And it says there, let there be light, and there was light. God didn't say, let there be light, and then he made the light. It was almost like he he was introducing light to creation, but the light was already there. It was already in existence. Because remember, with Jesus, he was there at the beginning. John 1, 1 to 3, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. See, if Jesus was created, then not all things could be created by him. But do you start to see that Jesus is the light? Well, let's do a quick aside on this. There's a theology out there that says that that God as creator spoke things into existence, and you and I made in his image. Therefore, what we speak can create things into existence as well. And, And there's a couple flaws with that. Number one is you're not God, right? Just because God has an attribute doesn't mean you and I automatically have that same attribute. Does that make sense? For example, God's all knowing. And Austin, I'm sorry, but you're not all-knowing. And you know that now as a husband, right? So (laughs) you've quickly learned that, right? And, And so the idea here is just because God has that attribute doesn't mean we have that attribute automatically. But here's the other thing. God didn't just speak and then it came into existence. He would actually create and form. Now, what, what, they're, what they're trying to get at is they're trying to help us understand is that there is some power in the things that we say, particularly in our self-talk. For example, if, if I, all I say about myself is I'm no good, that I'm such a fool and I'm such a loser and, and, and no one would ever want me and I have all these, these, these negative, down, rejective, shameful thoughts, that's, that's not necessarily going to create this reality, but it is going to limit me. It is going to trap me. Because Proverbs 23, 7 says, as a man believes in his heart, so is he. In the sense that if I believe that I'm weak, if I believe I can't do something, I'll never attempt it. 
I'll give up before I even, even try. And so from that perspective, I can, I, can, I can limit myself or trap myself, but I'm not creating anything with my words. I'm just limiting my mindset in that. Does that make sense? Right? So that idea of, of you're going to create a reality with what you say, positively or negatively, that's, that's Oprah stuff, guys. That's not, that's, not the, that's not the Bible. That's not Christianity. Right? Jesus is the one that creates things. All right. Let's get back to Genesis 1-3, right? Because there's something really significant, really cool about this idea that Jesus is being light. So if I've kind of lost you so far, if you're thinking about you know, the turkey you're going to have, leftover turkey this, this afternoon or ham, Come back with me here, because there's something really special I'd say here. Because I think what we're going to see here in Genesis uh, 1, verses 3 and 4, is essentially the gospel. And I think it's amazing here that in verse 1, God introduces himself, the Father. Verse 2, we've got the Holy Spirit introduced. Verse 3, we've got Jesus, light introduced. And in verse 4, we see the gospel. Let's read verses 3 and 4. Let there be light, God said, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good and separated the light from the darkness. The, the world at this point in verse 2, we said it was formless, right? It was void. It was, it was filled with chaos. And there's only darkness all over, all around. And I'd say, look around today. And what do we see? I see a lot of darkness. I see, I see a lot of, of chaos. I see a lot of hurt and pain. And I, I would argue and I would say that the last two years, that the stress and the pressure and the weight that we've all been through as we go through this pandemic that's going all over the world, it hasn't made this world bad. It's merely exposed the rot that is in this world. And so what do we see? Do you, remember, do you remember the beginning of, of COVID? The, the flatten the curve for two weeks? Remember that? That's good times, right? Two weeks to flatten the curve. But then what was the, what was the common phrase always being thrown around by our leaders? We're all in this together. Boy, that's gone out the window, hasn't it? Right? When, when I look around now, I see a deep coldness in the hearts of people. Where, where, where people are thinking, if, if you don't agree with me, then we're, we, we should restrict things from you. That if you're not going to get vaccinated, we should deny you health care. Or I see people fighting and clawing for power, even to the point where they're willing to step on others without any remorse, without any concern of the cost it means to them, simply so that they could have more, more money, more authority, more fame. I see people profiting off of the suffering of others. I see anger and outright hostility when people don't agree with them. There's all kinds of betrayal, manipulation, self-centeredness. There's, a, there's an enormous what's in it for me mentality. I see good being called evil and evil being called good. Lies are proclaimed as truth. Factions, divisions, not only are they existed, but they're actually being stoked. Because that us versus them mentality, 
is great for control, and so we demonize different groups of people. There's hatred and animosity. That's, that's not only is it justified in people's minds, but it's actually celebrated. We see the strength and the power that's meant to serve and protect is actually used to control, hurt, and steal from others, even to the point where, where innocent people like little children are used and abused and left with a lifetime of scars and a lifetime of damage for but a mere few moments of someone's own personal gratification. Again, at, at no, no concept or no care of the cost that's going to be on other people. It's a dark world out there. It's a, the dominion of darkness that, that Paul talks about in Colossians 1.13 that God has come to rescue you and I from. And so listen now how, how Paul describes that in another passage in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, he says, for God who said light shall shine out of darkness. Do you see these? He's echoing. He's, he's hearkening back to the Genesis account. Is the one who shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Do you see the, the connection here? That in the midst of the darkness of Genesis 1, uh, 2, Verse 3, God says, let there be light. He introduces Jesus into the darkness. And that's what he's done in our hearts. That's what we're, we're celebrating. Really, Christmas Day yesterday was a celebration of, of not really just this baby being born, but essentially D-Day. Think about D-Day in World War II, right? That was the, when the Allied forces, they threw everything they had just to storm the beaches of France and Normandy and, and other beaches in order to have a, a foothold to then really wage war against uh, Hitler and the Nazis. And, and the war didn't end on D-Day, but that's when the tide turned. Eventually, the war would end some two years later almost. And similarly, on Jesus' birth, light shows up now in this world, but the world remains dark. It's not going to be for another 33-plus years until Jesus dies on the cross that the victory is as announced. But it's starting now. The tide begins to turn on Jesus' birth. And so what we're seeing here now is, is your hearts, when you arrived here on planet Earth, is dark, and it's filled with darkness until the light comes. And that's that moment of salvation, where, where the light, the life, the very essence of Jesus comes to shine into your hearts, where that old heart is taken away and you're made into a new creation. And now the spirit of God dwells within your heart, all of his power, all of his light in there. And so what happened to the darkness in your heart? It's gone. Isn't that good news? I mean, think about it, John. Your heart is good. I mean, isn't it amazing that, that your heart is pure? That there's no darkness in it at all. That it is filled entirely by the light and the life of Jesus Christ. The God who has shone light into the darkness. And what he's done is he's separated the light from the dark. He's separated us from the darkness of this world because we're now children of light. 
Now, does that mean that we no longer have any connection with the darkness? No, because the reality is we still live in this darkened world. But here's where the cool application of that is, right? What we're seeing here is this idea that God is the one who shines light into darkness. If you and I are now the light of this world, where can you expect God to place us? Or maybe put it another way, where is the light needed the most? In a dark place. So this morning at, at 3.30, uh, Joy wakes me up out of a great sleep. Oh, it was, it was <laughs> I was out. Uh, she wakes me up and says, it's cold and, and the furnace isn't turning on. And we, we had a couple problems a couple days earlier, and I'm thinking, perfect. On Boxing Day, Sunday morning, perfect timing. And, and so now I got to turn into furnace repairman and, and, and you, you know, pulling off the cover and so forth, and my engineering mind's kicking in. And, OK, I diagnosed the problems and so forth. And, but it's dark. And so I got, I got my phone, and I pull it out because it's got a flashlight in there. So I can now see what's going on inside the furnace. Because light's not needed. I wouldn't need a flashlight if there was a giant spotlight on that. But because it was dark, I needed a flashlight. So where's light needed? In dark places. And where's a dark place today? In this world. And so what God's going to do, we have an opportunity now to partner with him and be placed by him in these dark situations in order for God to do something special. See, look what he says in, in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure... What or who is their treasure? It's Jesus, right? The light of the world. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, right? Some might call an earthen vessel a butt dust, right? It's not B-U-T-T, -T, right? It's, but we are but one T, dust. We are a bag of dust. We are earthen vessels. We are simple creations. But we have a treasure inside of us the very person of Jesus Christ. And, and so we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of power will be of God and not from ourselves. So what's going to happen now is you and I are going to be placed in dark places. We're going to face challenges. But do you realize every challenge you and I face is another opportunity for the world to see Jesus? Think about it. If, if your world was perfect, right? You've got, you know, the, the, the $5 million home. You got another $10 million in the bank account. You got 2.2 kids. You got the cat and the dog, right? You've got a perfectly manicured uh, lawn in the summer. Uh, in the winter, you got a heated driveway, so you don't even have to shovel, right? I mean, that's, that's perfection, right? Like, everything is just, just wonderful. Even the Leafs won the Stanley Cup, right? So everything is great. Right? I know, I'm dreaming. I know, I get it. Just, just go with me here on this one, right? So all that's happened. Would anyone be surprised that you've got joy? Would anyone be surprised that, that you've got peace and that you're content and that you've you got a, a carefree, light heart? No, because what would they attribute all that to? 
to your circumstances, right? Well, of course you're happy. The Leafs won the cup, for goodness sake, right? Who wouldn't be happy, Robin, right? So, so all that's happening. But, but what if you take all that away? You, you got a, a, a house that's fallen apart and a furnace that breaks on Christmas Eve or Christmas night. And, and, and things aren't great in your marriage. And the kids are, well, they're kids. And they're acting like kids because they're kids. And you don't got money in the bank account. In fact, you don't even know if you're going to be able to pay that next bill because you don't even know if the last bill you paid is actually going to clear the accounts. And yet, despite all of that, you've got peace. You, you've got a peace that cannot be explained by this world. You have a joy that doesn't add up. And, and not a joy because you are ignorant to what's going on, but fully knowing what's going on, there's still hope. Clearly, that joy, that contentment, that peace, that hope is coming from something other than your circumstances. And in a hurting world, that, that needs to be investigated. That needs to be understood. That needs to be accounted for. And so what God's going to do is he's placed you and I in these situations where we now get to witness this testimony. This, we get to witness who this Jesus is, who this God is, and sometimes use words for that. Sometimes it's just by how we live and how we, how we walk around that people will notice things. That, it, that essentially, you think about the story of Moses in the burning bush. And Moses is walking along and he sees his bush on fire. That's not, that's not an odd or rare occurrence. So he's out in the wilderness. That's, that's probably happening all the time. But what was interesting about this fire is it was not being consumed. And so he was curious and he had to go investigate. Well, when people see the peace that Susan's got, when people see the, the joy that she's got in the midst of the, the chaos and the darkness of this world, people need to investigate, what is it you've got? Because I've seen your husband. Like, what is it you've got? I, I blessed you another week, and I can give and I can take away, right? So, but, but that's the reality here, is that God's given us a special opportunity now to show this world who Jesus is in the midst of our darkness, in the midst of this hurting world. So here's what he says in Matthew 5, 14 and 16. He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Right? You think about when, when, when something is up high on the hill, everyone can see it from a distance. And that's what you and I are. Nor does anyone light a lamp and then put it under a basket but rather on a lampstand. They put it up high, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Right? So it's not, it's not glorifying Sheila, or it's not glorifying Marco, or anything like that. That's not what it's doing. It's, they're going to see God in us, and they're going to glorify God as a result of that because they're seeing the good works. Well, what are the good works? Essentially, it's this. It's what God's called us to. It's love. It's loving God. 
It's loving yourself and loving others. And note first the order of those things, but also note that I included yourself. That, that it is right and it is good and it is holy that we love ourselves. Because that's what God calls us to do, right? Love others as you love yourself. If you don't love yourself, you're not able to love others. But he's called us to love ourselves. So we love God. And that love of God allows us to love ourselves. That same love then overflows into other people. And it's the kind of love that we've looked at before and said, you and I cannot produce on our own. Only Christ in us can do that. And that's why God is glorified as a result of all that. Well, what, what might that look like? Well, let's step into a messy example of this, shall we? A little controversy, anyone? Let's talk about masks. We live in, a, again, a very divisive, a very, very uh, difficult time. And there's a lot of questions around masks. And, and there's a statement I've heard from, from a lot of people in the church, mainly from Christians actually make this statement. And the statement is this, if you loved me, you'd wear a mask. And, and I want you to know that that statement is actually one of manipulation and control. It's not love. Because the reality is, it's not about the other person. It's about me and what I want. And, and I say that because the opposite of it is true, which is the person who, who is very much against masks and hate masks might say, if you loved me, you wouldn't make me wear a mask. Or you wouldn't wear a mask even to be around me. And you see, the point isn't about the other person. It's simply about me and what I want in order for me to be comfortable. And neither of that is love. See, love is, love is doing what's in another person's best interest. That's what love is. Now, please understand, does that mean we can just, we all throw away the masks and we don't care and we're just going to, we're just going to ignore it? No. As soon as I'm done here and I step off the stage, I'm going to put my mask back on because I want to honor authority. I want to honor what, what's been asked of us and I can respect that. But there are some who can't wear a mask. There are some that may even choose not to out of their own immaturity and rebellion. Just like there are some who choose to wear a mask out of their own immaturity and rebellion because they're trying to make a political statement on either side. And that's, that's not the point. The point is really not so much what do, what do I want from you, but what might I offer you? And so for what that means is that I'll wear a mask, especially if you want me to wear a mask. Because I want to love you. But not because you're trying to manipulate and control me, but because I want to do what's in your best interest. But there are times where God might say no. And, and here's an example of that. Um, Timothy uh, was born a Jew, but, um, but grew up in a Christian home, which meant that he wasn't circumcised. Uh, because that was Old Covenant. And so he's now reached a, uh, an older age, I don't know, maybe in his early 20s or, or something, and, and now he's got a ministry where he's going to go out to, to the Jews. And, but the question that the Jews want to know is, is he circumcised? Which makes me ask all kind of questions about how they greet each other. <laughs> right? Like, how, how do you know? And I mean, like, 
I don't even know why they needed to know that, but apparently it was a big deal. So Paul says to Timothy, guess what? We're going to get you circumcised because we want to, we want to not be a stumbling block for these people. And that's really important to them. So here's how we're going to love. We're going to meet where they're at. And so we got them circumcised. Fast forward a number of years, Titus shows up on the scene. And the same questions happen about Titus. Titus isn't circumcised. How are you going to reach these people? And so people started demanding. And you know, you, circ- you circumcise Timothy. You got to circumcise Titus to make it acceptable. And what did Paul say? No. Boy, you can imagine what Timothy's thinking. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> this ain't fair. What kind of hazing is this, right? But he, he said, no, we're not going to circumcise Titus because a statement needs to be made. We're not under the law. Now, how does that all relate back to masks? It's not about the masks. It really isn't. It's about loving other people. Not, not what I want them to do for me to make me comfortable, but how do, I, how do I show up in their world? How do I love them in a way that makes them comfortable? And again, maybe that means that I wear a mask, and maybe it means that I don't require them to wear a mask. Or maybe, maybe I need to be OK if they need to wear a mask. Whatever it is, it isn't about the mask. It's about loving people. But what I see, especially in our churches, is we're, we're dividing over these issues, and we're missing the point. And what an opportunity we have. Again, the greater the darkness, the more the light shows up, the more opportunities we have for the light to show up. And that's what we have. So let me, let me close with this. In Ephesians 5, 8, and 9, he says, for you were formerly darkness, right? You were formerly in this world. You were filled with that hostility and that cold heart. You were formerly uh, alienated and against God, filled with bitterness and hurt and control and manipulation, and, and you wanted to be your own little God in this world. You were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Walk in Jesus. And the fruit of that, the fruit of Jesus, will be manifested through you in that love, in that joy, in that peace, in that patience, in that kindness, in that gentleness. And I truly believe in my heart, the more the world sees us that way, the more the more of an impact we'll have on this world. And you know, that's, that's really my prayer for us here at New Life. That, you know, you think about there's these, all these big churches all around the world, and, and you think, well, what are they known for? Oh, that church, they're really known for great worship. And, and this church, they're known because they've got, they've got great sound coming out. Or, or the, the setup and the presentation, or wow, the speaker there is just incredible. Or, or, or they, these got great programs. Or, or over here, this is where healing happens. And they've got the, the gifts of the spirit. And, and they've got this happening and that. And, and they have all these things that they're known for. You want to know what I want to be known for in new life? Look at how they love people. Look how, they, look how they care for one another. Look how they're willing to lay down their own lives for other people. 
Look how they not only receive, but offer the grace of God to one another. Even to those who don't agree with them. Even to those who are different than them. And even to those who are against them. That's my prayer. And we're working on it. And that's okay. But that's my hope, my desire, that the that people will see that we are now the light of the world. And seeing that light, that's Jesus in us, that light, they will, they will run to Jesus now because they too will want that light to banish the darkness in their own lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I marvel at what you did in just those first few verses of chapter one of Genesis, of, the, of our scripture, the Bible. You introduce the main characters, yourself, Father, the Holy Spirit, and your son, Jesus. And then you share the gospel. You share the good news, that that light came to drive out the darkness, to drive out the chaos and the, and the void and the emptiness, to place light, to place life in us. That's it. That's the gospel. And that's what you've done, and that's who we are. And I pray now, Lord Jesus, that you would use us as a city on a hill, as a light on a lampstand, that people will see us, and they'll see you in us as we trust you, and that they'll be drawn to you, that they will want what we're just beginning to discover. In your name we pray, amen. You've been listening to the New Life Fellowship Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more great content, please be sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca, and sign up for our mailing list. Subscribers will receive our The Life in the Apartment ebook that is sure to encourage and bless. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch the latest services and additional video content. New Life Fellowship is a registered charity that is supported by the giving of partners and friends. All donations will be received. If you would like to donate, donate at newlifekw.ca. Your giving is highly valued and appreciated. You are loved. Take care.